All right, let's turn to Second Chronicles chapter 6 tonight. All right, when we left off in chapter 5 last week, we remember the nation of Israel was celebrating and worshiping God, and uh, they, they were giving praise to him. They said, for he is good, for his mercies endure forever. And as they were worshiping them, he goes on to say that the house, uh, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud. And so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. God's glory and God's presence was, was so filled in that place that the priests couldn't even do their duties in there. They had, to, they had to leave the building when God showed up. And as we get into chapter 6, we're going to see Solomon continue to bring in the dedication of the temple. Continue to bring in uh, the people into worship inside of this temple that has been built for God. And Solomon goes on to say, it says, Then Solomon spoke, and the Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. I have surely built you an exalted house and placed for you uh, a place for you to dwell in forever. So we talk about this dark cloud, remember, uh, when Moses and the Israelites were coming out of Egypt, that God had, would show up to them in a dark cloud as well. And we often wonder, we think of God, God is a God of light, it's a God of love. Why is this dark cloud here? What is this dark cloud speaking of? Well, just whenever Moses wanted to see God and he, he put Moses in the cleft of the, uh, of the mountain and had to pass by him and just let him see his backside, he couldn't see all of God's glory. He would have fell dead. And that cloak and that darkness was just masking the light of God because if we actually would see God, we would fall dead in our tracks. You know, it's been said that an atomic bomb, when an atomic bomb goes off, that if you're anywhere 50 miles or closer to an atomic bomb and you look at it, you'll go blind. Just from the blast and the light and the flash from it. Well, the glory of God and the light that God gives off is, would be like an atomic bomb, would be like lighting a match in perspective. His glory is so magnificent and so, so great that it had to be matched for us here, mere humans on earth. Now, one day we'll get a new body. One day we'll be able to see the glory of God when we, when we cross over to the other side. But his, his, his glory was too much for the people of Israel or any of us here on earth. So that's why he's sitting inside this dark cloud that was mentioned here and also elsewhere inside the word of God. It says, then the, then the king turned around and blessed the whole assembly of Israel uh, while, all, uh, while all the assembly of Israel was standing. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for ha- uh, who has fulfilled with his hands what he spoke with his mouth to my father David, saying, since the day that I brought my people out of the land of Egypt, I have chosen no city from the tribes of Israel in which to build a house that my name might be there. Nor did I choose any man to be ruler over my people, Israel. Yet I have chosen Jerusalem that I that my name may be there. And, and I have chosen David to be over my people of Israel. So up to this point. He hadn't chosen a place to settle his people down, which we know he did, but Israel didn't see it that way. Then he chose David to become the king, even though Saul was the first king. But we know 
that the, uh, the, the reign of David would, would last all the way to the Messiah who had come. So we see here that he ends up choosing Jerusalem as a place to put his name. Now, I've never been to Israel, I, I, and I, but I have been to the Middle East, and I know it's a lot of desert land out there. And it's not always the most beautiful place in the world. And, and the area where Jerusalem is probably is not the most beautiful place in Israel. I'm pretty sure there's other places in Israel that is more pretty than what Jerusalem is. But God chose to put his name where Jerusalem is. He chose to take David, who was what? Merely a shepherd's boy at the time, to become the king of Israel. And we see God taking some of the things we may think that are insignificant in our, in our lives, are the most insignificant people in the world in using them. Moses had a stutter. Whenever he had to speak, he said, God, you can't use me. I, have, you know, I can't speak well. But God still used him. And in 1 Corinthians, you don't have to turn there, but in 1 Corinthians uh, 1, 26 through 31, it says, For you see your calling, brother, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised. God has chosen in the things which are not to bring to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who become for us wisdom from God. And righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. The Lord uses me and he uses you. And he uses people to get his gospel out. And he'll use, he uses a fool like me <laughs> to come up here and to talk to you all about the, the word of God. And he used Israel, who was such a small group of people. In the, in the grand scheme of things, to the world's eyes, was not a very attractive group, not a very wonderful group, but God chose to use Israel to bring his Messiah in. He doesn't use the things that are wise. He doesn't use the things that are, that are, are extravagant, but he uses the foolish things of the world. He uses the small things of the world to bring his message through, and that's what he did with Israel, and that's what he's doing here now, and, and I find it, find it wonderful that he does that, that he wants to use everyday common people to get his message out to the world, and we should, we should, we should thank him for that. Verse 7, it says, Now it was in the heart of my father David to build a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father, David, whereas it was in your heart to build the temple for my name, you did well that it was, you did well that it was in your heart. So we know that God was not going to use David to build the temple. He was a man of war and this was not going to happen. But God gave him credit, though. You had it in your heart. You were very sincere in what you wanted to do. And it was not a bad thing. You wanted to do it for me to bring me glory. So very good. You, you get credit for that. In verse 9, it says, Nevertheless, you shall not build a temple, but your son who will come from your body, he shall build the temple for my name. So the Lord has fulfilled his word, 
which he spoke, and I have filled the position of my father David and sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised. I have built the temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel, and there I have put the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord which he made with the children of Israel. So it is true. David did have it on his heart to build. And when God had told David that, uh, it told David, that, hey, I'm going to build you a house. He was not talking about a house of worship like we are here. He was talking about a lineage, a house that was going to last for eternity through our Savior, through the Messiah to come. But David had it, had it on his heart to really want to build him a physical house. And even though that might not have been on God's heart, he did go ahead and allow Solomon to build a house up for him because he loved David so much that he allowed this to happen. And just think about this. David had at least eight wives, if not more, 20 sons, if not more. He had the affair with Bathsheba, who is Solomon's mother. And even after the affair with Bathsheba and their child being taken away by God because of of the sin that was in their life, God blessed them with Solomon, who at this point is now going to be the king over Israel who's going to be the one who is building this temple. This is the apex of of Israel's history right here. This is one of the highest points they've had in history. And God still used, even though David sinned and had this relationship with Bathsheba, he still used that and gave him a second chance. After he chastened him, he gave David a second chance to give him a son, which later down the road would would bring on our Messiah. So regardless of the mistakes that we make in our life, God is a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. And, and the list can go on. So let, don't get down on ourselves. When we make mistakes, we've got to get right back up and we've got to repent before God and have true repentance before him. And he'll turn it around for us and get us back on track. And we see that throughout Scripture, even with Israel. They'll go into captivity. They'll cry out to God. God will forgive them and they'll get back online again. And it's a continuous story because his forgiveness is, is everlasting. And if his forgiveness is there for us. Verse 13, it says, For Solomon had made a bronze platform five cubits long, five cubits wide and three cubits high, and set it in the midst of the court. And he stood on it, knelt down on the knees, uh, on his knees before all the assembly, of Israel and spread out his hands towards heaven. So we see here Solomon's about to go into prayer before God and to worship God and to and to talk to God on behalf of Israel. And we see his position here is he stands before God, then he kneels, surrendering to God. Because when we kneel before before God, That's exactly what we're doing. We're humbling ourselves and kneeling before him, surrendering ourselves over to God. And Solomon is doing this on behalf of Israel right now. And when we kneel to pray, which you don't have to kneel to pray. We can pray in any position uh, that we're in. But when you kneel yourself, you're kind of giving that effort to surrender yourself to God. Also, if you kneel, you may not fall asleep while you try to pray also. So I know sometime early in the morning trying to pray, (laughs) I'm going to have to get up and walk around a little bit. But it humbles you, and it, and it, and it kind of takes that pride away from you, bowing the knee to our king, putting away ourselves. And we see Solomon doing that before the congregation, before God, giving surrender to him. 
And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven or on earth like you who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants who walk before you with all their hearts. You have kept what you promised, your servant David, my father. You have both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. So Solomon is, is bringing acknowledgement of who he is. And that's how we should start every prayer how great our God is. Lord, you are awesome. You're the creator of the universe. Start by praising our God. Get, get our relationship with him right in the beginning of our prayer. To, that way we know who we're praying to. And this, and this, and this ushering in his presence here. And then he, he went from, from saying who God was. Now he's going to go in verse 15, which we read. He goes on to say that you have kept what you promised your servant David. God is a promise keeper. If he, if he promises something, he's going to keep his promise, and he's going to do what he said in his word. In verse 16, it says, Therefore, Lord, uh, God of Israel, uh, now keep what you promised your servant David, my father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel. Only if your sons take heed to their way, and they walk in my law as you have walked before me. And now, O Lord, God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant David. But will God indeed dwell with men on earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I have built. Yet regard the prayer of your servant, and his supplications, O Lord, my God, and listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you, that your eyes may be open towards the temple day and night, towards the place where you said you would put your name, that you may hear the prayer which you ser- uh, your servant makes towards this place. And we just talked about God being a promise keeper, and I think one of the most effective ways we can pray is to pray with our Bibles open. Searching the promises of God and praying these promises of God, saying, God, hey, you said in your word that if I was doing this, that you would do this. And just bringing it to his attention. He already knows it. But we're doing this for our own benefit to let us know that we have a God that keeps promises. In verse 17, it says, and now the Lord God of Israel says, let your word come true. Verify it. Lord, you said if I did this you would do this on my behalf. If I, if I followed your ways and I, and, and I kept your statutes and I, and, you, and I do what you said for me, Lord, you would do this for me. And he's keeping, he's a promise keeper. And then he went on to say that, Lord, you, you, you listen to my prayer. Listen to what I, your servant has to say. How many of us are desperate to, to have the Lord listen to what we have to say? How, how many of us are really truly desperate to, to want God to listen to what we have to say? Or are our prayers just kind of passing by? Do we really seek the ear of God? Do we really, really want, to, want him to hear our, our requests? This, do we really want him to hear us cry out to him? I think we do. I think we do. Deep inside, we do want him to hear us. And in verse 20, when I was reading it, this, this really stuck with me, was the fact that he says that your eyes, talking about God's eyes, may be open towards the temple day and night, 
towards the place where you said you would put your name, that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes towards this place. In the New Testament, it tells us that, that, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of God. And he's saying here that God's eyes is towards his temple. That means God's eyes are towards me and you. Day in and day out, he's watching over us. It gives me goosebumps saying it. He, 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 he finds the time to want to watch after Brandon. wants to watch after Ken. And, he bring, and it brings joy to him to be able to watch us. It's kind of like if you're, when you're a parent or a grandparent and you have your little grandchild or your little child with you, you you're watching everywhere they go to make sure they're going to be okay. And that's what the Lord's doing. He's watching after us, growing our character, growing who we are, and enjoying every minute of it. We're his children. He's our dad, and he loves to watch after us. And he wants to hear our prayers. I think some of us, we forget that the Lord wants to hear our prayers. And, and we feel like we're not worthy for the Lord to hear our prayers. Who, who am I, really? A speck of dust. But the Lord loves the speck of dust. And the Lord wants to look after me. And the Lord wants to hear the prayers. He wants to hear what his children has to say. And we should be very thankful and glad about that. Uh, verse 21, it says, And may you hear the supplications of your servant and your people Israel when they pray towards this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Now he's praying not only for himself, but he's praying for Israel as well, that when we pray to you, God, and he says in the, in the dwelling place, but it's not the temple, but we know it's him, him in heaven. That when we pray to you, Lord, hear us from, from where you're at in heaven. Hear us and forgive us when we ask. When we ask for forgiveness, forgive us, Lord. Because we, we, we can't do it. Only you can do it, Lord. And in verse 22, it says, If anyone sins against his neighbor and is forced to take an oath and comes and takes an oath before your altar in this temple, then hear from heaven and act and judge your servant, bringing Retribution on the wicked by bringing his way on his own head and justifying the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness. So people would be accused of something in this time. And if they were they felt they were innocent, they would go to the temple to let God judge whether they were innocent or not. And that judgment would come down either. Hey, you've done no wrong. You're free of it. Or we're going to bring judgment on you because you are guilty of what you're coming through. And they would they would have an oath that they would give. In front of the altar of God. And we do that. We go before God and he knows, he knows we're guilty. And he knows if we're innocent. And he's our ultimate judge. And our sins were judged on the cross for us. If you're a believer, you're no longer going to be judged for those sins. They're covered already. And that's why we have to get out to our friends and our, and our friends and our neighbors and our family and let them know that their sins can be covered too. That that judgment can be taken. It can be done with. They just give it to Christ. And we talked about wanting to start a, start a revival here in America. It starts with me. It starts with, it starts with you. It starts with us. The footwork outside these four walls. Talking to people about God. Talking to people about Christ. And bringing them into that relationship. We're the hands and feet. We have to go out there. Verse 24 
says, Or if your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you, and return and confess your name, and pray and make supplication before your, you in your, his temple, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel, and bring them back to the land which you gave them and their fathers. So here we see them talking about if they go to battle, and we all go to battle in some form or fashion in our lives. But when they go to battle, and they may stray away from them, and the enemy may overtake them. And then they, they, they turn back because they've repented, because they know they've walked away from God. Bring them back into the land. And Israel knew all about this. They were in Egypt. Captive. And what did the Lord do when they cried out? They brought, brought them back into the promised land. Brought them to the promised land. And especially the exiles coming back, reading through this, they understood what captivity was being in Babylon. And when they finally what, cried out to the Lord, the Lord brought them back to their land. Seems like the theme in this, this, this section of the book is forgiveness. Second chances because God is continuing to do this on their behalf. So what they do, they would sin against God. They would turn again to God and repent. They would confess his name and believe. And they would get their sins forgiven. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? We confess before him. We believe in his name and we are forgiven. In verse 26, it goes on, it says, When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, when they pray towards the place and confess your name and turn from their sins because you afflicted them, then here in, uh, here in heaven and forgive the sins of your servant, your people Israel, that you may teach them the good way in which they should walk, and send rain on your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. When there is famine in the land, pestilence, or blight, or mildew, locusts, or grasshoppers, when their enemies besiege them in the land of their cities, uh, whatever plague or whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people, Israel, when each one knows his own burden and his own grief and spreads out his hands to the temple. Then hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive and give to everyone according to all his ways and whose heart you know, for you alone know the heart of the sons of men. That they may fear you to walk in the ways as long as they live in the land which you gave to their fathers. So here we see Solomon talk about when you shut, shut up the, uh, the skies and there's no rain. Now in Israel, they need rain to, to irrigate the crops and everything else. They, they need that rain. And we remember seeing over in Kings whenever the rain stopped for three years and the drought came. So rain is a very hot commodity in, uh, in Israel to be able to, to, to irrigate their fields and to grow their crops. And he's saying, Lord, when you, when you shut this off because they've sinned against you, when they cry out to you again, open up, open up the heavens again. Let the rain come down and bless your people whenever they repent towards you again. And once again, they're saying the same things when they, when they cry out to you. We need to cry out to God all the days of our lives. Big and small things, crying out to the Lord. That's what we need to do. Verse 32 it says, moreover, concerning 
of foreigners, who is not of your people Israel, but has come from a far country for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm when they come and pray in this temple. Then hear from heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigners call to you, that all the people of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. Israel was to extend an invitation to everybody to come and worship God. This temple was to be for everyone. Now Israel kind of separated themselves in some, in some aspects and, and had a little racism dealing with them throughout the ages. But just like this temple, and, and it was to welcome everyone, that cross is to welcome everyone. Regardless of the color of our skin and where we grew up, it is an invitation for everyone to come, to gather in and to get salvation from Christ. And we as believers have to, have to realize our witness isn't always to our own kind or, or sticking to our own, own people as far as Christians are concerned or the color of our skin, but we need to get out and witness to everybody. Because everyone's soul is precious in his sight. Everyone needs the salvation of, of, of Christ. Not, not just, this, just us in this room. Everyone needs it. And I think we get real comfy and real, real, real cozy in our own little Christian corner sometime and we neglect that. I'm guilty as anybody. But here's God showing us that, that he is wanting everyone to come to him. That when the stranger comes in, that they can go to the temple with outstretched arms and praise God and worship God and, and inquire about God, about what he can do. And just give praise for who he is. So this temple was to be for everyone. And you've got to realize we, we, we are saved not to just sit. We are saved to serve because Christ came to serve us. And we are to be servants as well for the people that we have here in our circles and in our area. This is where he's planted us. Let us go out and serve the people in our community. Not just sit at our homes and come here on Sunday, but let's serve them throughout the week. Ask the Lord, Lord, hey, how do you want to use me today? How would, what do you want, who do you want me to speak to today on your behalf? Empty me. Fill me with your spirit. Put me out there today. Whatever you, whatever's on your heart and your mind today, Lord, let me be part of that. It can be scary because he <laughs> could bring you to places that you don't always want to go and feel uncomfortable. But just we have to walk in that faith that he knows what he's doing. Verse 34 says, when your people go out to battle against the enemies, wherever you send them, and when they pray to you towards uh, this city which you have chosen and the temple which I have built for your name, then hear from heaven their, pra- uh, their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. Then uh, when they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and deliver them to their enemy, and they take them captive to a land far or near. Yet when they come to, the, to themselves in the land where they were carried captive and repent and make supplication to you in the land of their captivity, saying, We have sinned, we have done wrong, and we have committed wickedness. And when they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity, where they have been carried captive, 
and prayed towards their land which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen towards the temple which I have built for your name. Then fear, then hear from heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their supplication, and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Now, I'm pretty sure this was comforting to the people coming back from exile. He talks about those who would pray towards where the temple was, where the promised land was, praying to God that he would, they would, that he would bring them out of captivity. And if we remember with Daniel, he would open up the window and face towards where the Jerusalem was, where the temple was, and he would pray to God to be set free from their captives in Babylon. And maybe, maybe he, he heard about Solomon praying this and said, you know what, if Solomon's going to pray it, I can, I can pray it too. I remember hearing about him praying to God about that, that if we prayed towards Jerusalem and we prayed to God to be set free from captivity, that he would answer that prayer. And sure enough, they, they would soon be answered. That prayer would be answered as they would leave Babylon. And they would be restored back to their land. And that's all we have to do. We just got to repent before God. And he'll return us back to our land and restore us back to where we need to be in his will. And in verse 36, this, this verse here doesn't let anybody off the hook. It says, for there is no one who does not sin. What they say, what does no one in the Greek mean? No one. So everyone sins. That means everyone's in need of a savior. Everyone also will be called into judgment for it if that savior has not covered them. So that verse alone tells us that there is no one who has ever walked the earth that is free from sin, except for Christ. We all are in need of a savior because we are all have sinned. Verse 40 says, Now, my God, I pray, let your eyes be uh, open and let your ears be attentive to the prayer made in this place. Now, therefore, arise, O Lord God, to your uh, resting place, you you and the ark of your strength. Let your priest, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation and let your saints rejoice in goodness. O Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed, Remember the mercies of your servant, David. So Solomon's ending up the prayer here, pleading with God to keep his eyes on his people, praying to God that he would keep his eyes on his temple and the place that was built in his honor. We should pray the same thing as we talked earlier, that God, keep your eyes on me. Watch over me, as a good father will do to his children. Watch over me as I go through this life. Watch over me. So God is a God of forgiveness. God is a God of second chances. God is a God that will also teach us as we go through our trials. Teach us as we, as we go through this life. Just like any good father would. But just remember, God's eyes, if you're a born again Christian, you're saved by the blood, God's eyes are on you continuously. He never takes his eyes off of you. Amen? Father, we uh, thank you for this word tonight. We do thank you, Lord, and praise you. And I just, I, I don't even have the words to express it, Lord, but that you do watch over us.
And you're constantly watching us as we sleep, as we wake, as we go throughout our day, as we make our mistakes, Lord, as we bring you glory, Father. You're constantly watching us. Our highs and our lows, you're there all the time. And we thank you, Father God. We thank you for that protection. We thank you for that, that blood that covers us, Father. And we just thank you for your forgiveness, Lord. When we fail, you're there to forgive. And we just want to give you glory and honor for that, Lord. We ask for blessings for those who are here tonight. And we ask for your traveling mercies, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.